My kids all like to have shows that they watch with me that are unique to them. With the different ages, I need to be sober-minded with what I choose to view and with whom. Sage, our 10-year-old, is at an age now where she's caught on to this. With Fleur recently out of town and work more flexible over the summer, I had the privilege of watching something with just Sage. An episode of the original Twilight Zone. We both, including my daughter, who is much more in tune with the things of the Lord, thank you, Lord, at her tender age, was both, we were both, completely amazed at, at what we saw. It was season two, episode 29 from 1961, and was called The Obsolete Man. The fictional story was about a librarian named Mr. Wordsworth. In a dystopian view of the future, he had been declared obsolete. The government, or as it is called back in the black and white show from 62 years ago, the state, controlled the language of the citizens with such vigor that so many words had been eliminated from the language that librarians were no longer needed. Furthermore, Mr. Wordsworth was also under suspicion of something far more offensive than being obsolete, belief in God. Not only did the state deny God, but the state also argued that truth is a menace. Regardless, while on trial, Mr. Wordsworth passionately declared, there is a God. The state then, while at the same time denying the value of truth, argued that it is factual there is no God. To which Mr. Wordsworth rebutted, you cannot erase God with an edict. The spokesman for the state then smirked and said, the Bible is an opiate to make you think you have strength when you have no strength at all. He then told Mr. Wordsworth, the state has no use for your kind and declared Mr. Wordsworth to be an undesirable before sentencing him to be liquidated, a euphemism for being put to death. The state was also more than happy to honor Mr. Wordsworth's dying request that he die in his own home and live on camera for the world to view. The spokesman for the state, who proudly declared Mr. Wordsworth an obsolete undesirable because of his belief in God, was also to be present with Mr. Wordsworth for his execution. When the state official arrived at Mr. Wordsworth's home, Mr. Wordsworth, ever firm in his faith, live on camera, wanted it made known to the state and the world how he intended to use his final hours of life. Mr. Wordsworth took the official to a safe hidden in his home and then reached into the safe and pulled out his Bible. Mr. Wordsworth then smiled and confidently declared how he would be spending his final moments of life. I will be reading my Bible. It's been hidden for 20 years, a crime punishable by death. The official looked indignant. Then Mr. Wordsworth quoted Psalm 14.1, the fool says in his heart there is no God. He then proceeded to read a fairly large portion of scripture directly from his Bible, word for word, live on camera for the world to watch, firm in his faith until the moment he went to meet the Lord. It's hard to believe that once upon a time, such a show could be viewed prime time here in America on TV. It boldly portrayed a God-fearing man of character, firm in his faith, specifically leaning on God's words and not his own, while at the same time demonstrating the horror that can result 
when truth is denied. Furthermore, it artfully illustrated the power of steadfast faith and the importance of individual testimony in the face of persecution, even death. The show, while extreme, also seemed chillingly prophetic as to the direction the world is going today with regards to God, his word, his people, and the menace that is truth. Truth is being increasingly dismissed by our ever-expanding secular progressive postmodern world. Lately, I feel as though we live in the twilight zone. Before the Lord blessed me with a desire and conviction to study his words, I used to wonder, how is it that science fiction writers seem to often have their fingers on the pulse of where the world is headed? How can they so accurately seem to read the future? But the truth of the matter is, God's word makes it clear that the world is constantly in the twilight zone, past, present, and future. Ecclesiastes 1.9 tells us there is nothing new under the sun. So rather than seeing science fiction writers or anyone for that matter as being prophetic outside of God's complete word, I've come to believe that those who accurately comment about the future before things happen are most likely just students of history, including first and foremost, God's word. And God's word makes it clear that true believers are not of this world. We are to have our eyes heavenly set beyond the sun, not under it. As Ecclesiastes makes clear is a worldly focus. And because our vision is up there and not down here with the status quo, we will experience challenges, some of them potentially great. And no one knew this better than Peter. He makes it so very clear in his very first words given to him by the Holy Spirit in the book that we have been blessed to study since January 8th. Listen to what the Spirit's very first words are in 1 Peter verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. The world and the truth of Scripture are so diametrically opposed. Peter addresses believers in Christ as aliens. Peter then proceeds to give us, and I say us, because all true believers are aliens in this world, directions, directions for living in this world and navigating all the darkness that Genesis 3 tells us started in the Garden of Eden with lies and continues today because just as 2 Corinthians 4.4 tells us, Satan is the God of this world lowercase g. And John 8.44 defines his character and therefore makes very clear the devil's weapon of choice. But before I read exactly what scripture makes clear this is, I ask rhetorically, what do you believe is the devil's most dominant attribute? And what more than anything else is attributed to the devil? I ask that again. What do you believe is the devil's most dominant attribute? And what more than anything else is attributed to the devil? Lies. If you did not know this, listen closely. And if you did know this, listen closely. Because it greatly applies to where we are headed in today's scripture and to life in the devil's world. 
In John 8, God describes the devil. He is a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Just as truly illustrated in the Twilight Zone and can be seen today simply by turning on the news, visiting a school, a hospital, or just going shopping, our world is increasingly defined by lies. Can you think of anything more celebrated in the world than the falsehoods that are being imposed on the citizens of the world to redefine and dictate our realities? And thus, understand why God's word, his people, and the notion of capital T truth will always be considered a menace by the world because truth is in direct opposition to the God of this world, Satan. You know, it's amazing. Today, um, unrelated to my preparation for this message, I was reading Proverbs 6 in a personal study. And there are two things mentioned in Proverbs 6 that God hates. A lying tongue and those who spread falsehood. God hates anything to do with untruth. Years ago, I was on a committee at the college and I had found somebody to be caught in a whole bunch of lies. And I started to make an issue of it and the chair of the committee pulled me outside at break time and said, Dwayne, we all lie. And isn't that the truth? The world is defined by lies. Is there a single person in here who hasn't lied? But I hope you understand how crucial it is to know that God hates it. And also be very thankful the Holy Spirit used Peter to instruct us with God's wisdom, to resist the father of lies by equipping us with scripture for living out our daily lives as active testimonies of truth in all areas of our lives. Would you please stand with me for the reading of God's word and open up your Bibles to 1 Peter 5. 1 Peter 5. Please read along with me, verses 5 through 9. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be of sober spirit and on alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. The devil's real. And only by humbling ourselves Under his mighty hand, can we resist the devil, standing firmly grounded in our faith, regardless of how hostile the world gets? Please bow your heads. Lord God, we praise you as the author of life and therefore the author of truth. You are the creator of all things, and thus, by definition, you are the truth. 
We thank you for making this clear with your prophetic words, given ever since first breathing life into Adam and then delivered in the flesh by presenting yourself in the form of a man. We also know as the word of God to a dying world. You condescended to show us through your son, our Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and eternal life to be had by those who receive your words as truth. And while this gift is free, that is grace and grace alone, you expect us to participate. That is to humbly acknowledge you as the Lord of our lives by following you and only you. And this is only possible by listening to and hearing the words of your spirit as breathed out to us by you. And while your breath meant only physical life for Adam, the breath of your words means eternal life for all who truly receive them. Lord, I pray that you would do the work that only you can to help anyone here to hear and receive your words and never reject them. Lord Jesus, again, we praise you and we thank you and pray in your name only. Amen. Please be seated. Our study of Peter reads like an instruction manual for rejecting the father of lies. Here are just some of God's truths leading up to where we are in his words today. Holy conduct is only possible by abiding in God's word. 1 Peter 1, 13 through 25. We are to grow in salvation with honorable conduct. 1 Peter 2, 1 through 12. We are to submit to authority and in doing so, the sovereignty of God and honor all people unified with believers. 1 Peter 2, 13 through 25. We are to uphold God-honoring marriage, the social foundation of life, 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7, which, by the way, is God's very first spoken commandment regarding humanity in Genesis. We are to be sanctified in Christ, always ready to defend and give an account of your faith, 1 Peter 3, 15. We are to be armed with the purpose of Christ and the spirit according to the will of God. 1 Peter 4, 1 through 11. We are not to be surprised by suffering, but anticipate it as followers of Christ, trusting our souls to the will of God, our faithful creator, and take very seriously the responsibility of being part of a church obedient to the gospel. 1 Peter 4, 12 through 19. And 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4. As Matt convicted me with so clearly last week, directs church elders to eagerly and humbly serve the body. Not by lording over you members, but by living as examples, anticipating the great shepherd, our Lord Jesus Christ, according to the will of God. Echoing Matt, I pray this is how all of you, and I will add our families, which are to be a man's first ministry, see your elders. And Peter also repeatedly admonishes us to be of sober spirit. Which brings us to this morning's scripture. Faithful living demands clarity of mind. Because again, the devil is real. And only by humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of God can we resist the devil and stand firmly grounded in our faith. Regardless of how challenging the world gets. Please read along again with me, 1 Peter 5, 5. You younger men, likewise, be 
Be subject to your elders. And all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God gives grace to the humble, but is opposed to the proud. And God's word also highlights here exactly who he's speaking to. He's speaking to the church, the aliens in the world. And if you are someone that dismisses the notion of committing to church because you think you were spiritual on your own and do not need to be active or committed to your local church because you claim to believe in Jesus, then this sadly does not even apply to you. And not only are you being disobedient, but you're cheating yourself. Here, God's word tells us that his young men are subject to his appointed elders. But if you are not active in church, and this applies to anyone who claims to follow Christ, you are not subjecting yourselves to elders at all because you are not fully committed and therefore cannot be participating in God's ordained purpose for believers to obediently be assembling with each other which Hebrews 10.25 emphasizes is so that we can encourage each other as the time draws near. Which Peter emphasizes here when he says, we all, not just the young men, but all of us are to clothe ourselves in the humility of Christ and in doing so, listen to what it says, lift each other up. This cannot be done outside of the body of Christ, his church. And not only does it not make sense for a person to claim they are a part of the body of Christ without actually acting as a part of the body of Christ, it's prideful. And doesn't it make so much sense that that is why God opposes the proud? That is people who think that their way is better than his, which is also why pride is the greatest sin there is. Just as Proverbs 16, 18 tells us, Because pride leads to destruction. Because pride is the reason people ignore God. When people ignore God, that is to fail to consistently honor him and give him thanks as their creator. This creates the most fertile ground to explore and indulge in any and all manner of sin. It all begins with pride. The idea that the world begins at each and every individual belly button on the planet. There is perhaps no greater virtue in the world at this moment being globally celebrated than personal autonomy. It's all about me. And the message is cleverly packaged as being your authentic self. Because no one, not parents, not teachers, not police officers, not churches, not anyone, including the God of the universe, have any right to tell you how to live your life or interfere with your personal desires or choices. But Romans 1 makes it so clear that when people fail to do two things, everything goes south. Rhetorical question again. What are the two things that lead people to being separated from God? Again, I repeat, What are the two things that lead people to be separated from God? According to Romans, failing to honor him and failing to thank him. Even though his visible and invisible attributes surround us, the world says, 
ignore him. And when a person's pride is fully realized with the full rejection of the very God who made them, he will just give them over to their desires. Which, if I'm reading Romans correctly, God is just saying, if you want to do things your way rather than God's way, go right ahead. See how that works out for you. I'm actually super confident we have plenty of people in this room, myself included, first and foremost, who can testify tragically to how horrible life can be when we do things our way rather than our maker's way. I'm so thankful that when I was lost in the dark, God did not choose to give me over to my pride, which, by the way, is for me the greatest testimony as to what grace actually means. Just as the song so accurately states, was blind, but now I see. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear. Nothing but grace makes any sense. Because just as God owns in 1 Corinthians 1.25, the story of the cross is foolishness to the world. It's all grace. The power of God. And the reason I highlight this is because Romans 1 also makes it abundantly clear that there is a clear and present danger of being given over to your pride when a person is determined to reject the grace offered by God. This results in what Romans calls a depraved mind, a mind that can't function properly. It's though the senses have been supernaturally corrupted, permanently handicapped by darkness. And sadly, today all you have to do is turn on the news to see the corrupt contagion of pride and how self-worship has created a culture that can only be defined as depraved, completely and totally unable to think properly. And this is why Peter, three-time denier of Christ, so desperately wants us to know exactly who we are to humble ourselves under. And that is the mighty hand of God. Looking again at 1 Peter 5, 6 through 7, please read along with me. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Everything is under his mighty hand, but only the humble will be exalted. About three years ago, I was going through some stuff that only God and his word, and I will add an excellent wife, could get me through. The details are not important, but the solution is God's word. And not just hearing it on Sunday, or maybe reading it occasionally, but consuming it. Consuming it as though it is indeed the nourishment Jeremiah praises God for in Jeremiah 15, 16 where he says to God, your words were found and I ate them. And your words became for me a joy and a delight of my heart. For I've been called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. My wife tells my kids that 
We eat lies when our hearts are hungry. One of the most empowering and satisfying ways to avoid this is by purposing to satiate our hunger with God's words. When we have God's words ready in our mind, they, alive and active, will always nourish our hearts. But this is only possible by memorizing scripture. Which is why I believe Christ commands us in Colossians 3.16 to let his words dwell richly within us. Because just as Hebrews 4.12 says, his words are alive and active. And 2 Timothy 3.16 says, the words are useful in training in righteousness. Note the word training. It's an action word. It suggests actually doing something. Think about the things that God has blessed you to be good at in this life. Did you just one day wake up with your ability? Or did you train? Did you put forth effort? Can you think of anything more important to train in than God's word? By memorizing it and then applying it to your life? And God's words don't just help us to live accordingly. They carry us when we are lost or in need or pummeled by the lies of the world. When we have God's word ready in our mind, we can use it to confront any and all challenges. I'm so thankful for the blessing of scripture memory and specifically for 1 Peter 5, 6 through 7 in my time of need. God's words here, memorized and repeatedly spoken and prayed on daily, carried me through one of the darkest times I've ever experienced in my life. Hear and think about exactly what God says here. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. We are to humble ourselves under his mighty hand what this means, David makes so clear in Psalm 139. When we submit to, rather than ignore the God who made us, we are acknowledging that he is the God who knows your thoughts and knows your words before they're even on your tongue. He is the God who saw your unformed bodies before they were made. He is the God who knit you together in your mother's womb. Think about what the father of lies has done with that one. He is the God who ordained all of your days before one of them came to be. And he is the God who holds us and guides us with his outstretched hand. And when we accept all of this as truth, in the name of his son, the word of God, he lifts us up. He exalts us in our times of need. And not just that, but we have the right to cast our anxieties on him because he cares for us. Note the word casting. This means to throw. God does not just tell us to bring our problems to him. He tells us to actually throw our problems on him. Here's a challenge for all of you. Memorize 1 Peter 5, 6 through 7. And use it to do two, 
Two things Romans reminds us we never want to forget. To praise him and thank him. And to take advantage of throwing your anxieties on him. Testifying to him that you truly believe he does truly care for you. And these are not my words. They're from the one who made you. The only thing you have to do is contribute humble effort. And effort is a choice only you can make. And the blessing is infinite. When we humbly consume and submit to his words, we also humbly find shelter under his mighty hand, which is also the only way to resist the devil. Please continue reading along with me, 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. Faithful living is resisting the devil. And this requires a sober spirit, unified with brothers and sisters in Christ, here and everywhere. People often, and rightly so, immediately connect the word sober as the antithesis of intoxication. And intoxication, most notably, is connected to drugs and alcohol. And while this is a logical connection, it's also extremely limited. Drugs and alcohol are not the only things that threaten our ability to be sober and alert. The truth of the matter is, anything that dominates our thinking and our desires can be just as threatening to our well-being, if not more so, than drugs and alcohol. This is why people who don't use drugs and alcohol should be careful not to dismiss these words as not applying to them. The command to be sober in spirit applies to everything. The world is infinitely full of things that threaten our ability to have a sober spirit. Because just as God's words here make very clear, the devil is prowling like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And as scripture also makes clear, the father of lies is most successful when he intoxicates us with falsehoods regarding all that often even common sense tells us is true about life. Most people in this room have a smartphone in their pocket or their purse, which serves not only for instant communication, but also as an open window to the world that says anything you desire to have or to be is fine. Just through our phones, our sober spirits can be intoxicated by lies about sex, money, fame, science, and by social networking with the wrong people and the influence of mind-numbing entertainment. Anything can be packaged as beautiful and true. All day, every day. Just the appeal of the phone itself is idol-like in its power because of all it offers from the convenience of our pockets. If... We're not careful. And this is just one of the countless things vying for our devotion in a depraved world. 
That is why God tells us we must resist the devil, i.e. we must participate. Often people dismiss the lifting up of proper behavior as being legalistic. Well, according to God, we have to participate. And this means acting in ways that are contrary to the devil and his world. And in doing so, resisting the devil. God's words, not mine. We must participate. Just like 2 Timothy 3.16 uses the action word training with regards to employing God's words in our lives, here we have another action word, resist. And this message, like all messages, if grounded in scripture, is a consistent one. They all connect. Which is why God told Cain back in Genesis 4-7, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Training, resisting, ruling. Do you think God wants us to participate in the sanctification process of becoming more like his son, the Christ we claim is the Lord of our lives? Whether it's fiction or reality, which is often difficult to distinguish today, the reality of everything is that everything reflects, influences, and challenges or supports a person's worldview. That is how they look at the world and therefore ultimately how they live in the world. And 1 John 3.10 makes it clear there are two ways to live in this world. Either as a child of God or a child of the devil. There is no in-between. And while not of this world, we are currently by God's will and purposeful planning called to be temporary aliens in a world that is temporarily run by the devil. And only by the power of the Holy Spirit and his words combined with prayer and fellowship with other believers can we effectively navigate this foreign place we currently reside in. This demands that our eyes are open and ready to discern the world around us, the good from the evil, to see the world with clear and sober eyes. Nothing speaks more clearly to me about this, practically speaking, that is, than Proverbs. Please turn to Proverbs 1 with me. Proverbs 1. Please follow along. And listen to what God's living and active words say in Proverbs 1 through 7 and 20 through 33. And hear how these words give us a formula for sober vision in a sin-sick world. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to discern the sayings of understanding to receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the naive, to the youth, knowledge, and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. To understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and the riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Continuing in verses 20 through 33, 
where wisdom, so we are told, shouts in the street. Wisdom shouts in the street. She lifts her voice in the square. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the gates of the city, she utters her sayings. How long, O naive ones, will you love being simple-minded? And scoffers delight themselves in scoffing, and fools hate knowledge. Turn to my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. Because I called, and you refused. I stretched out my hand, and no one paid attention. And you neglected my counsel, and did not want my reproof. I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when dread comes. When your dread comes like a storm, and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then you will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me, because they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord. They would not accept my counsel. They spurned all my reproof, so they shall eat the fruit of their own ways and be satiated by their own devices. Sounds a lot like Romans 1, and it makes sense because everything in this book connects to everything in this book. That's what makes it complete. Continuing in 32. For the waywardness of the naive will kill them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But he who listens to me shall live securely and will be at ease from the day of dread. Just as Proverbs shouts from these pages, wisdom loudly shouts in the world. Everything in the world reflects the realities and truths of God's words. And if you claim God's word as your lens, you must look at it and listen to it so you can identify the truth of it as can be viewed in everything and employ God's words to discern truth from lies that are bombarding us daily from the moment we walk out the door or just turn on our phone. And the only way a person can effectively lean on the word of God is by knowing the word of God and humbly depending on the author, the Holy Spirit, which John 14, 26, depending on your translation, also calls the helper counselor and comforter who will provide understanding and the ability to apply to daily life his words a gift Christ says becomes immediately accessible upon repentance and true belief in his gospel it is that simple today you've heard a lot about rejecting the grace what that means is not receiving it And receiving it is as simple as acknowledging in your heart and in your mind, Lord God of the universe, I hear you. I repent. I ask for your help moving forward and trust that you will give it to me. You do that and mean it. You've also immediately been blessed with the Spirit who will convict you and help you discern these words and apply them to your life. If there's anyone in this room that hasn't done that, I just ask you now, again rhetorically, answer the question in your head, why not? If you do claim Christ and Christ alone, you must through him 
seek to identify his wisdom on display just as his words instruct us as it cries out in the streets, the squares, and from the cities, maybe even from an old black and white TV show. Our vision for life and living must be scripture. But since we are currently in the world and therefore flooded by the lies of the world, we must also be connecting the dots all around us that augment, which means make bigger and make more clear for us the differences between darkness and light, truth and lies, which the Bible defines for us, but the world displays for us. The only way a person can be sober and alert is by actively striving to know Christ and connecting the truths realized only in his words as they play out all around us. Never being naive or simple or complacent, but actively pursuing the humility that commands us to cast our anxieties at the mighty God whose hand we are under to be exalted so that we can participate successfully in his command to actively resist the devil. I once heard a very celebrated pastor say the best things in life are caught, not taught. That is making observations as we walk through this life, the good, the bad, the ugly, and using God's words and standard to discern it all. This requires not just connecting the truths of scripture, but also to connect the truths of scripture to life around us, including not just identifying successes, but observing and identifying the truth of sin and evil that are actively on display all around us and the consequences for choosing the lies of Satan over the truth of God. Again, the devil is real. Only by humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of God can we resist the devil, standing firm in our faith regardless of how difficult the world gets. It all comes down to truth or lies. And I will add never forgetting to give him honor and thanks in all things. How much of your prayer life is about honoring him, praising him? How much of your prayer life is about thanking him? And how much of your prayer life is about asking for things? When we prayerfully and humbly employ God's words in our thoughts, speech, actions, and I will add prayers, we resist the father of lies, the devil, because we are using God's wisdom and not the devil's. We are using God's insight and not the devil's. We are using God's sense and not the devil's. We are using God's discernment and not the devil's. We are using God's understanding and not the devil's. We are using God's prudence and not the devil's. We are leaning on the knowledge of God and not the devil. Wisdom, insight, sense, discernment, understanding, prudence, knowledge are all words repeated in Proverbs to describe the different levels of intelligence. However, just as the writer of Proverbs, King Solomon, the wisest man to ever live, preaches and repents in Ecclesiastes, all the intelligence in the world is useless without submitting to the author, God. And this means acknowledging that everything is under his mighty hand, including the devil. And his words not only command us to resist the devil, his words tell us exactly how to do it. 
And it begins with humbling ourselves under his mighty hand and then putting forth effort to resist the devil with the help that only he can provide with his spirit in our hearts if you've accepted him and his words not just in our hands but at the top of our minds always. Let's pray. Lord God, understanding your words is one thing but just as King Solomon knew actually doing what your words say to do is something else. And while your grace makes it clear that our actions do not get us to heaven, the way we live indeed does or does not testify to the world of a transformed life because of the truth of eternal hope. Also, as studied this morning in 1 Peter 5, we understand that this is the only way to resist the devil. And regardless of the crystal clarity of your words, we also know that only with humble dependence on you And by consuming your words, can we hope to have any success living lives, the lives that you have called us to live? So please, Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords, give us all here at Church of the Canyons the ability to hear, know, keep, and live according to your words. Make Church of the Canyons always a church that upholds the truth of your words with your integrity, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.